Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. What's up, Midas, Mighty, and Papokians? Welcome to Legal AF. If it's Sunday, it is Legal AF. Ben Micellis here with my esteemed co-host, straight from antiquing in the Jersey Shore. You've heard of GTA? That's Jim Tan antique, the Popakian himself, Michael Popa. Michael, like, welcome to the uh, podcast. Hey, thank you. I'm going to have to uh, justify my Jersey Shore bona fides. We say on the Jersey Shore, you said in the Jersey Shore, but that because otherwise I'm going to get a tweet like, please correct Ben. It's on the Jersey Shore. You know, we have very attentive fans and listeners, but, uh, you know, it, we got a lot to talk about today, as, as our Twitter followers know. I mean, I thought the summer would be sort of a little bit sluggish, a little bit slow. Supreme Court has certainly made up for that. We've got beyond an action packed episode for you and I to dissect today. Absolutely true, Popak. But I want to get personal when we start <laughs> this podcast. And you've talked about the attentive legal AF supporters. Many legal AF supporters are getting very upset at you, Popak, for referring to yourself in the third person. <laughs> Your response. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um on the spot. Yeah. Like I just made a joke that Popak's going to need a big cup of coffee for this episode. And one particular person got on me and said, really, Popak, third person, have you really reached that level? And I just sat back and watched sort of the rest of the might is mighty go after that particular Twitter follower and say, no, leave them alone. Popak's fun. I also like the one that there was one and I for a minute, I thought it was your your mom or dad, um, one who jumped on and said, less Popak, get off of the Popakian stuff, more Ben. And I was like, Mrs. Mysalis. <laughs> Popak revolution start with one person. I wouldn't discount that Twitter <laughs> follower. I totally support that Twitter followers point. And I support the other Twitter followers support who says, Less Popak, more Ben, but it's all good. Popak breaks down the legal analysis and everybody knows if it's Sunday, it is legal AF. As Popak mentioned, a jam packed legal AF episode for you this weekend. Let's start by talking about sanctions, sanctions. Straight out of Michigan, the crazy crackhead lawyer group of Sidney Powell and Lynn Wood have been hit with significant sanctions, a referral to their respective state bars, which could mean the removal of their license. 
This comes out of the Eastern District of Michigan, um, a very long ruling, 110 page ruling. We recall an early to mid July uh, hearing that took place, a Zoom hearing with Lynn Wood and with Sidney Powell and a group of some of the other local lawyers who uh, filed some of these bullshit lawsuits. Uh, the specific judge here was Linda Parker, district judge Linda Parker. I want to read some of the opinion and then pass it to you, uh, Popak. Again, 110 page decision. Uh, it begins by saying that the lawsuit represents a historic and profound abuse of the judicial process. It talks about the role of lawyers in our judicial process. The opinion basically says, look, there may be some people who have the right to spew crazy conspiracies out in public, but lawyers should be held to a different standard. Stop abusing the judicial process. Don't gloss over that one. The, the very first line that you read of a hundred and ten page opinion. You've been doing this a long time. Collectively, we've been doing this for 50 years. You ever see a judge write that in the very first line of a uh, of a federal opinion on sanctions? Well, when you read this opinion, Popak, it truly is like lawyering for dummies, American jurisprudence for dummies. It is right. It is basically speaking to these lawyers like they're not lawyers and saying, look, idiots, this is what your obligation was. And here's how you failed miserably. <laughs> how about on that? There's five lawyers that are being sanctioned by this ruling. One is Sidney Powell, who we all know released the Kraken. Uh, which you refer to as crackhead. The, the second one is Lynn Wood, a male lawyer who is really well known before Trump and minorly well respected in the bar and just sort of has gone round the bend. He's now mad as a hatter. His defense to being sanctioned, Ben, if you read it, was I didn't know I was on those pleadings. I didn't know that I was on the briefs related to how am I on that? And then Popak, page 28 of the opinion, <laughs> quoting Lynn Wood. This is what Lynn Wood said. Big, bad Lynn Wood. I'm going to get those bamboo. I'm going to get the bamboo in China. I'm finding Hugo Chavez. I'm going to go and and take his body and find those boats in his ben, crematory. Ben, ben, ben as a Southerner registered exactly. trademark. So here, here, that's my Linwood impression. And here's what Linwood actually said at the hearing, quote, I do not specifically recall being asked about the Michigan complaint, but I had generally indicated to Sidney Powell that if she needed a quote unquote trial lawyer, that I would certainly be willing and available to help her. In this case, obviously, my name was included. My experience or my skills apparently were never needed. I didn't have any involvement with it. That's what he said. And, he literally did, said, yeah, I didn't and how have did Judge Parker it. and how did Judge Parker Saki bomb him? Do you know what she oh, said it, back it, to him? It, it was basically said, uh, you're wrong and you have zero credibility uh, and, and you bragged. And Mr. Wood, this is from the judge's opinion. When you filed a case in Delaware, you bragged about your involvement in the Michigan case that you now say you were only at best a drive by participant in. you're getting sanctioned, too. So 
let, let's break it down for our legal AF law school um, enrollees. There's three main ways a federal judge can sanction lawyers for bad behavior and bad conduct. And no, the First Amendment does not protect a lawyer, notwithstanding Sidney Powell's position, does not protect a lawyer and give them immunity if they say unfactual, untruths, lies and mislead the court. There's three ways a federal judge can handle that. There's a rule 11, which is part of the federal rules of civil procedure, which every lawyer like you and I, when we sign a pleading, and that's why the judge spent so much time in the order talking about who signed the pleading electronically and who didn't sign the pleading. And and by you... the way, nobody who actually signed it or who was on it, all of them pointed the finger at each other. So right. even the local lawyers who literally had to file it. Their argument was, whoa, 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 we really weren't involved in this thing. It yeah, really well, that, that just reminds lawyers. And this is what the judge's foundational principles are, which you call dummy for lawyers or, or an opinion for dummy lawyers, is that lawyers as officers of the court are held to the highest standard in not misleading the court or abusing the judicial process, where even as a, a lay person, a pro se litigant who really doesn't know the rules, they'll be getting they'll be given a little bit of a break by a judge, not a lawyer, not who is admitted into the federal bar and not who is required to sign the pleading. And there's a reason for that, because Rule 11 of the federal rules says if you sign a pleading and it's not based on it's meritless, it's fraudulent. You can be sanctioned. You know that as a member of the federal bar, that's the one way a, that's the first power. The second power a federal judge has and every judge has is what's called the in, inherent authority of the judge. A judge just gets it cloaked when they put on that black robe. They have the in, inherent authority to police their judicial process, their courtroom, and to sanction people. They don't even have to point to a rule or a regulation or a statute. It comes with the job. And the third way in federal court is the one that this judge also relied on, which is 28 USC section 1927, what you and I called section 1927, which is if you engage in vexatious litigation, the judge can throw the book at you. She used all of these things in her 110 pages. The judge analyzed Rule 11, her inherent authority and section 1927 and found that every lawyer in there violated their basic precepts the oath that they took when they became a lawyer. And she threw she literally threw the book at them. Some people might be saying, well, just awarding it all the attorney's fees that all of the cities and other defendants and counties had to pay isn't enough. The judge should have disbarred them. She doesn't have that's the one power she doesn't have. She can't pull their ticket. She can't pull their license. She can make a federal judge referral to the bar association for each of these lawyers, which she is doing which she has done, which is not just like a little perfunctory. Oh, federal judge made a bar referral. It is a big deal. And it is it is it, it could lead to the death penalty in terms of licensure for each of these lawyers involved in this case, which is appropriate. So, so two penalties here, both severe monetary sanctions. The judge requested that the city and other defendants submit their costs and fees. Um, which will likely be in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, could even rise into the seven figures. But I anticipate it being uh, a low yeah. to mid six figure amount. I think at half a million. Guess. 
probably half yeah. a million. Yeah, three hundred to five. I totally yeah. agree with you there. Yeah. And a referral to the bar association. So what does this mean, Sidney Powell, Lynn Wood, the local attorneys uh, who helped aid and abet this complaint, could and will likely lose their legal license or face serious suspension. And here was the thing, too. You know, you had a lot of local lawyers who were being who who were being co-opted, but willingly um, by these nutcases. And Midas Touch called a lot of these local attorneys out when they would do it. We'd be like, wait a minute, you what do you you have to stand up? I don't care what political party it is. This isn't a political issue. This isn't Bush v. Gore in Florida. Right. This is some ridiculous bullshit conspiracy theories yeah. seeking to undermine democracy. And you as a lawyer need to stand up. And this was an interesting footnote in the opinion. Not really interesting. I mean, it's just an accurate statement of the law where the quote quotes Gentile versus State Bar of Nevada, U.S. Supreme Court in 1991, which talks about lawyers having considerable First Amendment rights outside of the courtroom with some limitations when a jury is being impaneled, when a case is active, when the lawyer's free speech can actually manipulate the jury. But Gentile reflects lawyers can talk outside of the courtroom. They can't be muzzled. They're still humans. Yeah. They still are humans living in the United States of America, that is. But when you step into the courtroom in the narrow capacity of being in the room advocating for a client in court, there is no First Amendment right. That's Your right. rights are to be officers of the court and abide by the rules and abide strictly by all your other constitutional duties. As you a and I, you and I, and it was a proud day, I'm sure, for both you and, and me and our families. We took an oath. We swore an oath as constitutional officers, as officers of the court. So did all these lawyers. They've lost their way. It, I'm OK with the concept of lawyers. I want to make this clear. And I'll get your opinion. Lawyers taking on unpopular cases and representing people. That is the basis of our the foundation of our ju judicial system. It's what separates us from uncivilized societies. Totally fine with that. ACLU representing American Nazis walking down Skokie, Illinois, their right to protest and exercise their First Amendment. Totally fine with it. The Unabomber and, you know, Timothy McVeigh being represented in court in the process, because I don't want to live in a society where there aren't lawyers who are representing even the notorious uh, defendant who we all you know, might want to get our hands on and do something. The mob might want to do something to fine with that. This is different. This is you're not allowed to go into court and lie. And this is why Rudy Giuliani has a big problem. And Rudy got disbarred and suspended. And so will they, because the judge pointed to almost the same evidence that Rudy alluded to. They claimed in the Michigan election process, which just to remind our followers, Biden won by one hundred and fifty thousand votes. There's never been a recall election or a review of votes that has ever turned an election on 150,000 ballots. It's just too many. There's no fraud that's that rampant. And they said to the judge and they filed bullshit affidavits that said, oh, we have eyewitnesses that saw voter fraud. Oh, there's statistical anomalies and mathematical impossibilities. And we have an, some nutty expert who's going to testify to that. And that's the basis, Judge, for you taking away and disenfranchising five million Michigan voters who voted 
um, and take away their vote. And the judge was like, first of all, your affidavits are full of you know what. They, there's no support here. There's only speculation and conjecture. This is the exact same observation that the bar in New York made against Giuliani when they pulled his ticket. They're going to do the same thing to these people. So, and, and one other thing on the footnote, Ben, that you you probably saw. Did you see what the judge referenced in terms of Sidney Powell and her website? Would they say Popak? She she said in 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 a coming up with the sanctions, she was also troubled that it looked like Sidney Powell was profiting outside the courtroom from her crazy conspiracy, fraudulent theories by trying to raise money on websites and doing conferences and and conspiracy cons and all these things. And the judge said, you know what? You can't profit from being a uh, meritless, fraudulent lawyer either. We will keep the legal a efforts and Popakians updated on the next steps in this case. But speaking Popak and is that our new word? Wait, is that our new word? Legal a efforts? Okay, legal, I like it. Yeah, le- legal right. a efforts. It's and trending. Popak- legal a efforts and Popakians. Um, and speaking of lawyers taking unpopular cases, it starts at the very foundation of our government with John Adams after the Boston massacre, defending Thomas Preston, believing everyone is entitled to a defense. But at the same time, John Adams fighting for democracy and fighting for the existence of our country. Moving on, Popak from sanctions to the January 6th select committee. Very, very busy this week, sent out Uh, a number of letters to eight federal agencies, including the Justice and Defense Departments, the FBI, National Counterterrorism Center, uh, Representative Benny Thompson, a Democrat of Mississippi alone, Democrat of Mississippi, though, who's chairing this select committee, um, sent these letters out requesting uh, information about Um, Trump, the Trump family members, uh, all of the Congress members who were aiding and abetting the insurrection, the usual suspects, the crazy Kraken crew, in other words, Popak, (laughs) that whole entire crew were the subjects of the CKC. Exactly. We're subjects to these letters as part of the select committee investigation. Tell us, Popak, about these letters. And I do want to put the asterisk here, though, is that these letters are not subpoenas. They are voluntary document requests, which is how the process starts. But Popak, break it down for us so people know what's going on. Yeah, it's going to start on the continuum as a letter. It's going to end with a referral to the Department of Justice, a motion for contempt and 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 subpoenas because the Congress has subpoena power under the under the U.S. Constitution and Supreme Court analysis dating back to really the founding of the modern Supreme Court in the 1780s, all the way through recent decisions that were made even by this Supreme Court against Trump related to his tax returns. So that was the just to flag it right there. That's the Trump v. Mazur's USA LLP decision. Mazur's USA LLP being the accounting firm that had records that were in connection with 
the Congress's investigation into Trump's misconduct. <laughs> Trump appealed that all the way to the Supreme Court. Um, and the decision was that Congress does indeed have the power um, to subpoena. Yeah. Um, the, the, the wrinkle on that, though, was that was executive branch. One of the questions are, can Congress subpoena other records of other Congress members. It's a weird fact scenario here that you literally had GQP or as Popak likes to call them cutie pies. <laughs> it's the GQP members who aided and embedded the insurrection. And so there is in the Constitution something called a speech and debate clause, which if you lead it, read it literally, it basically says that the only accountability uh, members of Congress, House of Representatives and senators can have, they can only be accountable on the floor yeah, is basically it, what yeah, it, it says. says. There shall not be any questioning of a member of the House except in the place which is in Congress. So but I think that one's OK. But let, let, let me take the plane up 10,000 feet for our listeners and followers and, and kind of frame it and then we'll get into the how we get from letter to subpoena. So as you said, rightly, the January 6th committee, which has been empowered by the full House to investigate what happened on Jan 6th, the attack, the insurrectionists and the aftermath for the purpose, not only to get to the bottom of it, but to recommend what how to prevent this from happening in the future. That's a proper legislative function. And therefore, they that committee has certain powers it starts with letter request. And now what we've seen as reported in the media is that Representative Thompson and his who has the power to issue these letters as the chairperson has issued at least three categories of letters that have gone out. One of them has gone to the National Archives to ask for all information, because that's where the White House records would have went after the Trump uh, presidency was over. So they're asking for the National Archive, the record storage facility for all Trump uh, communication. We want to see first, the committee says, all the communication between the Trump White House and any of their agencies, including the Department of Justice, with the battleground states to see how they were leaning and pressuring the battleground states concerning this BS theory that the uh, voter that voter fraud had meant had led to the election of Joe Biden. So Do you love this request that was in here, though? This is to the National Archives that the committee requested, quote, <laughs> all documents and communications related to the mental stability yeah, of talk. Donald Trump <laughs> or his fitness for office. I just wanted to make sure that was one of the yeah, many that's requests. One, that's that one made. of the three. I, I don't know why I didn't lead with was Trump so crazy on the day of Jan 6 that the 25th Amendment should have been exercised for his removal. So they're now to the second category of documents that they're seeking is from all of the agencies that were also, you know, of course, headed by Trump appointees, including the Department of Justice and Barr and all the cabinet positions. Because remember, under the 25th Amendment, if a, if a supermajority of the cabinet takes a secret vote and decides that the president has gone to the loony bin, he's mad as a hatter, needs to be removed because he's incapacitated mentally. They can exercise that. He has to he has to go. And then the vice president steps into his position. And the question is that the committee wants to get to the bottom of is where was the cabinet seriously considering um, a removal of the president, Trump, after Jan 6th, up until Jan 20th, which was the inauguration of Joe Biden, were they going to remove him? And they want to get documentation because they figure 
There's got to be fingerprints. There's got to be emails and correspondence and documents, maybe memos analyzing this issue for the different cabinet heads. And they want to see that those documents and that information. The, the third, which is extraordinary that we're talking about that. The third category is they want to go out to the wireless carriers, the phone companies, Verizon and, and the rest of them, uh, AT&T, and get the phone records, including uh, members of house, the house of uh, members of the house to find out who was in communication with the Gen 6 insurrectionists, both before, during and after. And maybe we're involved with coordination. And that's where we're going to get into the the battle over the ability for the House to subpoena its own members and for the members to have to testify in a hearing like that, which is back to, Ben, what you said about the speech and debate clause. But I want to ask you something. Even the literal reading of that one line of the speech and debate clause of the Constitution would seem to give the Congress the power to make the Congress people answer for those charges in the House. What do you think? Well, I mean, the literal language states the following for any speech or debate in either house, a member of Congress shall not be questioned in any other place. Now, the way that's been interpreted, of course, through gravel, the United States, this was the Pentagon papers and the Pentagon Mm -hmm. leak, which basically held that the speech or debate clause did not extend that immunity to, and this just related to a senator's aid subpoena to testify before a grand jury about the arrangement of the private publication of the Pentagon Papers. Um, But ultimately, I believe that that specific clause is narrowly confined. It's a weird clause. Let's just be Let's just be honest. But the framers of our Constitution wanted it in there because they didn't want members of the House to be arrested when they were going to do their official duties by a president out of control who did who wanted to prevent a quorum for voting. So a lot. That's why that provision starts talking about no arrest shall happen if a congressperson shows up to do his duty because they were you know, this is back. I used to call it the wild, wild west back in the day when senators used to beat other senators on the House of the floor with their canes, which really happened. You can look it up after Trump. Um, nothing surprises me. So they were worried that there would be an imperial president who would try to arrest members of Congress to stop them from doing their job. And th- that then it led to that second clause that you and I are now spending a lot of time on. Absolutely. And I mean, my expectation here, though, and here's the problem, though, Popak, my expectation is they are going to issue these subpoenas um, and then they are all going to be litigated matters that are going to go before the district courts, the court of appeals, and then ultimately to the Supreme Court. And it will be interesting. Popak, what do you think When it goes to the Supreme Court, we know and we just described earlier in this in the Trump versus Mazur's case, what the Supreme Court said about the subpoena power of the executive branch. What do you think the Supreme Court would do here when presented to it as it relates to members of Congress and particularly here's how the GQ peers are trying to frame the issue because they're pieces of shit is the same way they're trying to frame the issue over them being anti-vax and anti-mask as freedom. They try to co-opt the language of equality and democracy to meet their fascist ends. What they're saying is 
you have no right one member of Congress. That's the epitome of fascism because yeah. um, these fascists project. That's all they do for another member of Congress to try to get my private phone sure records. Do. do not get. And that's the argument yeah. that the GQ peers are already saying. But it's like it's not a no one's trying to get your phone records outside of January 6th and who you were talking to on that specific day. And you can build in protections on these things by redacting all family numbers and all these other things. But what do you think the Supreme Court says on this, Popak? Yeah. Yeah. So I my reading the tea leaves, including with Justice Roberts in the Trump case, is that they're ultimately and I think this will go fast track to the Supreme Court. I think it might bypass the lower appellate court. The Supreme Court seems to be inclined to take a lot of these decisions, and we'll talk about two more of them in this podcast on a on a really fast track. But look, it, it is well established, starting in 1789, all the way through the Trump case that you just mentioned, with really a lot of the current justices, that Congress, in order to do its job, has to have information. It can't work in the dark. It can't take a shot in the dark. It needs data. It needs information. The the Jan 6th investigation special committee is properly impaneled or in place by the full vote of the House. That's prong one to determine if they have subpoena power. Prong two is that they are conducting the investigation or the subpoenas that the information they're seeking for a proper investigative purpose. They are. They're trying to, as has been declared in the preamble of the of the legislation authorizing the committee, they are they are uh, looking at one of the most troubling moments in American history when thousands of Americans storm the Capitol in, in as insurrectionists and to try to kill, capture, or attack members of Congress, which has never happened before. So I can't think of a better purpose or a legislative intent. And the third is that the subject matter of the information that they're seeking is related to that, the scope of that legislative intent. And I think so far what I've seen from Benny Thompson's letters, which will ultimately become subpoenas, referrals to the Department of Justice, federal court orders to have all of this happen, um, is going to be upheld. Now, the Supreme Court may I think where we get into a problem, we haven't talked about it, is when the information sought is coming from the executive branch and from Trump himself. There is case law, as you know, Ben, that the executive power may be able to trump, no pun intended, the request. In other words, the executive privilege may may lead to a court, including the Supreme Court, saying you're not getting all of this information out of the cabinet members or the executive branch because now you've crossed over into executive privilege. So the Supreme Court's going to have to very delicately, ultimately pick through the actual requests, the targets of those requests to determine if executive privilege even applies. Of course, Trump's and all of his acolytes are oh, executive privilege, executive privilege. But I think the member of Congress that may or may not have participated in the Gen insurrection, wittingly or unwittingly, I think they're going to have to stand and deliver. They're going to have to turn over documents and they may have to testify. But we're going to make a new chapter in constitutional law off of these requests. And we've talked about in previous episodes to the position of Merrick Garland and the Department of Justice that these acts of insurrection, what took place on January 6th, 
as at least as it relates to what was going on on that stage, the inspiring of the crowd, that that did not constitute executive privilege. And we talked about on previous legal AF episodes, some DOJ guidance and opinions where they were uh, defending some unpopular things that Trump did under executive privilege, such as clearing, clearing the park, clearing in Lafayette Park, right. um, E. Jean Carroll, allowing the United States to continue to defend the executive branch where it occurred in the course and scope of the presidential press conference, even though speaking about sexual assault itself was outside the scope of what an executive would do. It occurred in the context of a presidential press conference. But we know the DOJ's position here, though, I think will be no immunity here, at least as it relates to what was going on uh, publicly that we saw outside and those communications that were a political rally. And 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 Garland, Merrick Garland has gone one step further. I, I know even our followers and listeners, you know, take issue sometimes at, at the speed or velocity at which Merrick Garland is moving. I don't have I don't have that problem. I think he's he's doing fine in the year that he's been in office. But he just recently, I don't know if you caught this, Ben, in the Jan 6th um, records issue, he's given a memo basically releasing and telling all of the ex-members of the Department of Justice, so the Trump members of the Department of Justice, that they are free to testify before the Gen 6 committee and provide documents. So he's already told like Barr and everybody that was under Barr and in that office, um, I'm now the, the owner of the DOJ office. This is Merrick Garland talking. You're free. We are releasing you. There's no privilege. Go ahead and testify. Let's talk now about uh, switching gears slightly. The Federal Communications Commission has proposed a $5 million fine for the right-wing conspiracists theorists, um, Jacob Wall and Jack Berkman, they're proposing again, that is $5 million. For those who uh, you know, don't recall what happened here, um, because these two idiots have been literally pulling these stunts, lets them off. Stunts makes it sound juvenile. These horrific criminal acts to undermine the election because these Trumpists at their core are just bizarre. Uh, just all they know is criminality. So on August 26th and September 14th, there were robocalls making these false claims about mail voting, these robocalls reached out to a lot of black voters and said personal information will be part of a public database that will be used by police departments to track down old warrants and be used by credit card companies to collect outstanding debts. They targeted thousands of people with that robocall. And I'm just glad, Popak, that these lunatics are being brought to justice here. And they're also under 
Uh, they're criminal. facing four felony criminal charges in Michigan for using robocalls to also intimidate voters through robocalls by mail and others. They tried getting that dismissed. I don't want to belabor this one too much, Popak, because I don't even want to give them airtime well, yeah, podcast time. But well, let, let me tie it to our later segments in the podcast. We're going to talk about. Um, administrative agencies like, in this case, the Federal Communications Commission under the Administrative Procedures Act, the APA, and what they can and can't do. Here is a proper exercise of a federal agency's rulemaking authority and and uh, ability to regulate in the area, in this case, the FCC. And so it, it'll start as a proposed fine of $5 million. It will then go ultimately, they'll have a right to challenge that. It'll go ultimately not to out to a federal judge like you and I talk about in the past, what we call an Article Three judge, but will stay with an administrative law judge, an ALJ, within who's just assigned to the FCC. So it's a hermetically sealed administrative process. He'll that judge male or female, whatever the judge is, will then rule on the five million dollar fine, having heard from both sides and issue an order. It is very difficult to go out from that order, which I'm sure it's going to be to uphold the five million, maybe even to raise the five million to then if you don't like that result, it's very difficult to appeal um, that you can appeal. But the standard for appeal is very difficult. So these guys, one is in his 20s. That's Jacob Wall. The other guy is an older guy. As you said, what I found fascinating is not just that they made 1,200 robocalls in a very short amount of period to scare the crap out of people and to do voter intimidation, to confuse them on mail-in voting so that they wouldn't go to the polls. And that's also the charges in Michigan under the state criminal statute that they committed voter intimidation. So they're going to go to jail. But did you see the background on Jacob Wall? Not to make him into a celebrity, but this guy is like the evil Leonardo DiCaprio. He's like, catch me if you can with Wolf of Wall Street. Before he got involved with robocalls as a teenager, he started some fraudulent hedge fund. Okay, he got sanctioned by every Securities and Exchange Commission and and state level Securities and Exchange Commission. He's been banned from the futures industry in the securities business. This, this guy's never met a fraud that he didn't like. And then he just latched on to the, the Trump conspiracy theories, found this other moron, Jack Berman, and they got together and decided, let's make money. Let's create fake intelligence agencies. Let's write fake on you know news articles and plant them on Facebook and let's do robocalls and like enough is enough we'll start with the FCC we'll end with criminal investigation and hopefully these people will be shackled together and breaking big rocks into small rocks popak leonardo dicaprio huh leo well, leo he's in yeah, the two he's... movies he's in those two movies <laughs> i'll take your leo and i will raise you that this jacob wall is the political version of a Billy McFarland. And for those who don't yeah. know, is the person who did the fire festival and a number of frauds before that. And for many who don't know, people were surprised on the Midas touch live this week. They were like, someone wrote, you know, Ben's the lawyer from fire festival and Ben's the lawyer in the fire festival movies on Hulu and Netflix. And no one actually believed that that was me. That was actually me in there, but no, <laughs> 
I would be bringing down Billy McFarland many years ago. And then when politics called, it's these idiots like Jacob Wall who are the manifestations of that. And if you go back actually to the Fire Festival movie, and I think I recorded that in 2018, I basically said in that movie, we have a fire festival going on every single day in the White House. And so that was a quote from 2018, way before the foundation of Midas, Legal AF. It may have even been when Popak and myself were duking it out on opposite sides of cases. And for many of our listeners, you don't know that. Popak and I are kumbaya right now, but there was once a day many years ago where Popak and I met on opposite sides of a case. But what's great about the law is we can all unite, form friendships and bonds based on a love of the law, a love of democracy, and a love of defeating fascists like Jacob Wall. Everyone's favorite part. Are you ready for this, Popak? Go. Updates. We've got updates. We need a jingle. Updates. We need a jingle. The jingles are that. I'm, I'm oh, the that's jingle the jingle? Okay. I'm the jingle machine now. You remember, what was that movie where the Somalian pirates, private, not saving private, what, what was the movie oh, called? Oh, you're talking about Captain Phillips? Captain Phillips, where they go, <laughs> I'm the captain now. Okay. And I go, I am the jingle machine now. Updates, updates, we got updates. It's not exactly on tune, but we're dealing with decisions that you may or may not feel are on tune. But let's start with one that I think is on tune. And this is in your state, Popak of Florida, Popakian Floridian. Um, the judge blocked uh, Governor Death Santis's order banning uh, masks. Yeah, we've talked about this at length on Legal AF podcast, how bizarre it is for a governor who doesn't like, hey, we should have mask mandates. I think governors should enforce the best health and science. But to have a governor in Florida telling the school districts, we are going to defund you. We're going to take away your money from educating students because your school board has the audacity to meet and follow science, which says that kids should wear masks so that your children don't die. And we've also talked about on past legal AFs, of course, um, Governor Death Santis also demanding the cruise ship industry not check for vaccinations because he wants cruise ship passengers to die. die. He wants he wants death. He death Santis wants death cruise ship. So Circuit Judge John Cooper in a it was actually a very well written um, decision. And there were parts of the decision also which talked about you can't just let people go crazy, Governor. We have to enlist very kind of common sense uh, approaches when we're dealing with health and safety issues. The judge noted two Florida Supreme Court decisions, one from 1914, one from 1939, which found that individual rights are incredibly important. They are the foundation of our Constitution, but they can be limited by their impact on others. I'll, I'll go into the cases, but yes, you have the right to uh, drink. 
to drink, but yeah, I, I was going to use some grosser yeah. examples, but yeah. you, you don't have the right to go out and just do anything you want and just be crazy and hurt people. And that's what the judge said. He said adults have the right to drink alcohol, but do not have the right to drink and drive. Duh, there is a right to free speech, but not to harass or threaten others and yell fire in a crowded theater. Duh. Let's talk about this from top to bottom. And the most perverse thing about DeSantis's position taken in court by the lawyers for the, his Department of Education is that they're claiming that the parent bill of rights, which they passed, gave the governor the right to legislate in the area of masks, to which I asked, talk about the irony of this. What about the parents of the ch- of who have children that they don't want to see die, that they want to see have masks? So the judge said, wait a minute, I get individual liberty, but parents don't have the right, even if they don't like the result, to violate the rights of somebody else in a public health pandemic. I'll give an example. You know, we're giving examples on this podcast. It would be like if it will stay in the school setting. It would be like if a parent didn't want their football playing high school student to wear a helmet because the helmet gets in the way of his vision. He's a better running back or quarterback. If he's out there. Such a good example. Right. He's right. Well, you and I've talked about the concussion cases and you were involved in those at the NFL level. So I've got a I've got a student athlete who's got long flowing hair. I want him to have a career, you know, in, in endorsements. And he's and he throws the ball better when he can see without his helmet. No, you don't get the right to send your kid out into the field without safety equipment. And you don't get oh, the Bach, right. Did you? That is really brilliant. Did, is that your own or yes. did you hear that? Oh, dude, that is. Dude, that dude let, is me, let me Popakian. clarify something. All of these are my own. <laughs> Popakian, that solved it. I just want to say I've never heard it articulated like that. That's why we've called you Papakian, you're a Papakian scholar. You have a Papakian scholarship following. The way you broke it down there with football helmets, I think is so critical and vital to really drilling the point home across. One, because a lot of those GQ peers relate to you know, the football mask example, but it's exactly like that. When Governor DeSantis says, I want to see the smiles of the children. It's like, okay, well, it's like, yeah, well, let's do no helmets, no seatbelts. All right. it, it's brilliant. Exactly example. right. Thank you. But that that's what I thought about this morning. And I did think about that sport as being really hitting the GQP where it, where it lives. You don't have that right. And, you know, it's interesting. Leon County in Florida, just to get it really in, inside baseball, uh, switching sports, is, is the seat uh, of the circuit court. Uh, which is the state level court in Tallahassee, which is where the governor sits. So like every case that challenges a governor action, regardless of party, ends up in Leon County. Those are elected judges. Those are not appointed by the by the governor unless there is an opening and he gets to a point of vacancy. Those are people in Leon County, which is a relatively conservative county, notwithstanding the fact that Florida State University is up there. So it's a little bit of a college town. But these are like conservative judges. If you watch the Zoom, which I did for a few minutes of the of where he announced the ruling, I mean, this guy couldn't look more right wing conservative, the judge in his appearance with his three piece suit and his slicked hair and he's in his 60s. I mean, this is not a guy who's like a radical. 
trying to undercut American values. It's the opposite. He's trying to save school students from dying. And I'm sure you talked about this on the Brothers podcast. Have you seen the numbers that are tanking for uh, DeSantis in the state of Florida and his approval rating? It's going down the drain. Totally going down the drain. And Democrats need and we'll save most of the politics for the brothers podcast, but the GQP lives and thrives on scaring the shit out of voters that Democrats are going to do X, Y and Z. And the Democrats where we have people like Death Santis, who is literally killing people who is not popular who who's not popular amongst even conservatives who care about their family. And again, because being conservative should have nothing to do with being anti-vax. Quite the contrary. If you are conservative, you should want to conserve life. That's why these GQPers are not conservative at all. What we need to do, what Midas Touch was great at doing, what we do on Legal AF is we call a spade a spade. And we say, Death Santis, you are a murderer. That if you elect the GQP, they are going to kill your children. They are going to kill your loved ones if they haven't killed them already. Can I ask Enough you something? Of this bullshit. Can I ask you something? Why isn't really bring it back good, to the bring it back? Really we'll, we'll bring it back to the we law. We call that pulling a Jordy Popak when no. I'm on like a killer rant like that. Oh, no, I didn't mean but to cut ahead, you Popak. off. I didn't go, mean to go, cut go, you off. Okay, go ahead. I, I'm gonna tie it. I'm gonna tie it to the law. Why is it why isn't a right-wing Republican parent using their child as a guinea pig in their political social experiment? Why isn't that child abuse? You have an obligation as a parent to be the guardian for the safety and well-being of your child. And if you won't do that, then the state steps in and steps in and, and protects children. Why isn't that a form of child abuse? You can harbor your you know, fringe political views that masks, mask mandates are somehow against democracy. But why do you get to use your child as the guinea pig in a death experiment. Why? Why isn't that child abuse? I'm asking it. I know it's rhetorical, but I'm also asking you, why isn't that a form of child abuse? Not only is it child abuse, but what we just witnessed there, folks, is something that we will heretofore called a PCI, a Popokian co-option interception. A PCI is when Ben is on a great rant, making some great logical points. And you get the PCI from Popokian, Popokian himself. He comes in, makes a better point <laughs> to show off to the Midas Touch legal AFers that he is indeed the favorite brother, a PCI <laughs> folks. You just watch it. Popak, I agree that it is child abuse. I agree with your football analogy. And I agree with every legal AFer who says Popak is their favorite brother. Updates, updates. We've got more updates on legal AF. This show isn't done. This show isn't even close. We're at the halfway done. mark. Hang in there, folks. Put on your seatbelt because we talked just now about singing a good tune. We talked about a good ruling, but some bad tunes. But look, 
We at Legal AF prepare the Legal AFers and Popakians and Midas Mighty for these rulings. We told you it was coming. Frankly, I didn't think it was going to be coming as quick as within one episode to the next episode, because usually when these cases are being appealed, that process takes more than a few days. But we talked about the eviction moratorium. We talked about how the eviction moratorium had barely survived in the past and how it was reinstated by the Biden administration using the justification of the Delta variant. Remember, these moratoriums, these preventions of evictions that were taking place, it has to be rooted in some authority. You can't just do it by hey, I'm the president, this is what I say. So the way the Biden administration wanted to protect people from being evicted was utilizing the powers of the CDC and to use their powers as an agency to enact kind of common sense regulations that protect people when there are Uh, certain, you know, pandemics or epidemics and that the CDC can have these rules to protect people. There was no definitive rule, though, that said the CDC was authorized to prevent evictions, that that if you look at the literal text of what was going on, it doesn't say in the enacting statute that allows the CDC to do things. And ultimately, Congress has to pass laws, enabling laws that allow agencies to do things. And sometimes agencies can have broad powers and sometimes it's narrowly circumscribed. But an agency can't just take agency action without the power being emanated from Congress. So what the Supreme Court said the last time the eviction ban came before them is, look, it's about to run out anyway. But Congress, the powers with you go pass laws that protect people from being evicted. You have every authority, Congress, to extend the eviction moratorium as Congress. What the Supreme Court saying is, but the CDC, they don't have the power to do that. The problem is that our Congress is infested, not just by COVID infested GQPers, <laughs> but by the GQP who wants people to be sick, unhealthy, evicted in the streets so they can live in their mansions and basically laugh at everybody. I mean, that is what the GQP's goal is, is to create a Russian style oligarchy. And look, as a Democrat, but as someone who believes in capitalism, I believe people should make money. I believe that people should be able to make lots of money. I believe people should be successful. I believe, though, that we should live in a compassionate society where if it means that someone can't have 10 yachts, but can have five yachts, and we don't have fellow human beings in our country dying on the streets every day, I think that's a fair assessment of the facts. But I believe in capitalism. And by the way, 
there is a balance here that we've talked about on legal AF, where there are a lot of small business owners, though, who are also landlords who should not be forgotten here. And we do need to strike the right balances here. I won't go into the politics. I'll stick with what the SCOTUS law said about these eviction moratoriums. But Popak and I have said this is a nuanced issue, but we told you it was coming. It's coming. Popak, yeah. winter has arrived. Yeah. And I didn't do a PC either. I didn't. You were I, very tempted to do I, a PCI. I, I was moving around in my chair. Uh, all right. Well, uh, this may not be popular, but certainly it's it's not unexpected. We've certainly been managing expectations since the last episode about where we two episodes, really, about where we thought Kavanaugh was going to end up at the end of the day. And and he did. And the reason I'm going to say it's not it's not going to be popular is because I don't think that the Supreme Court of the United States got this wrong. And I'll, let me explain why. And and it, I'll pick up where you left off. Congress has to act here. Congress passed in March of 2020 the what we the Coronavirus uh, Relief and Economic Stability Act. I'm butchering the name, but you can look it up, which set up a whole bunch of programs and funds and um, the Paycheck Protection Program and monies to restaurants and things like that. And one part of it was the Congress creating a national moratorium on residential evictions and banning them. And everybody's fine with that. That's what Congress is allowed to do. What What's not OK is that after that expired and what the Supreme Court has, has said, not only is it likely that the if the case went to trial, that that the Biden administration, the CDC would lose the court just said yesterday, the day before Supreme Court, we can't imagine a scenario where they wouldn't lose that argument because they what Ben referred to, what you referred to as where does the CDC get the power and the authority to issue that rule? That is the starting point for every administrative agency, every every agency, regardless of who's in power, Democrat or Republican. And I want to live in a society where agencies are making proper rules based on the authority that they've been delegated to by Congress or by a statute. And the only provision that the CDC has been hanging its hat on, because it's really the only one that exists, is this one that you alluded to, which is at um, Section 361 um, of the uh, Public Health and Services Act, which says that the Surgeon General in a public pandemic or health crisis has the power to issue rules in involving inspection, fumigation, disinfection, and pest control. That was the basis for the nationwide residential eviction moratorium. So there's a big disconnect there. There is no other provision under the CDC. And to answer a question that was asked in the, in the Twitter feed this week, there's no other agency that has a statute or a rulemaking authority that would stem from something that's legitimate to to issue the eviction ban in lieu of the CDC. Somebody said on one of our our Twitter feeds, what about HUD? What about the Housing and Urban Development? Let them issue it. Yeah, it would be the proper agency if the agency had on its books a statute or rule that allowed them to do that. It doesn't. All roads lead back to Congress. Congress has to act here. Supreme Court is not going to let and Biden did a great thing, by the way, in extending it for as long as he has. There are families who have been protected for an additional month or two months or three months because of, of them playing this out in the courtroom while 
He's trying to buy time on Capitol Hill to get legislation passed by Congress, which is the only place this is going to happen. So I know a lot of people are picking up pitchforks and torches about the Supreme Court. And it was six to three. And of course, the conservatives went that way. But I'll be frank, I'm not sure they had any other choice given the case law and the statute upon which the CDC was relying. What do you think, then? Yeah, it's a tough one because we don't like the result. Um, And the issue is, uh, could the CDC's authority, though, be construed to have some broader uh, interpretation? And look, I think there are lots of times where this Supreme Court and prior Supreme Courts, though, especially given that it's a global pandemic, you could say, well, clearly the intent behind the law that enabled the CDC to have these other powers would encompass this. When the lawmakers were writing the statute, when they were providing the enabling uh, abilities of the CDC, no one could know everything that was going to happen. No one would know COVID-19 and you couldn't possibly predict the scale and scope and the issues that we're dealing with. Um, So I could see you interpreting it generally through that frame and saying, clearly these other things are examples, but this would be one of the examples that was clearly intended to be the case. So that was a way to argue it. But I I, I do think, though, the result here, um, you know, is it's just interesting, Popak, when there's literalistic interpretations and then when there's policy level interpretations and they're sometimes skewed along political lines. Well, well, clearly, yeah, to your point, um, even though I believe that their analysis was right, I wish there were better language for the uh, center. I mean, look, the name of the center is the Center for Disease Control. So the question is, how does rent abatement or rent moratorium, eviction moratorium, how does that contribute to disease control? And that's that was the problem at the six conservative or right wing justices had. But there were three of the more liberal members of the court, uh, Breyer, Sotomayor and Kagan, who you know came up with an analysis that would have allowed the CDC to continue um, to continue the program without congressional action. And well, I don't know if we're t- are we talking about Breyer today? If not, we'll do it in the next podcast. But well, we could tease it a slightly and, and let's in the next podcast. But let's just talk about it. Very briefly here, Popak, that Justice Breyer, he's 83 years old um, on the non-fascist wing of the Supreme <laughs> Court. I, I, again, I, I hate the terms liberal and conservative when what we're talking about is Democrats being the only party that wants to conserve democracy and conserve life. Um, but, you know, Breyer's 83 um, he's writing a book. And so I think he gave a New York Times interview where it was leaked in the press that he was considering um, retiring. But he goes, there's a lot of factors I need to consider. And I'm not quite sure that I want to uh, die while I'm uh, in a sitting justice. I mean, that's literally, literally what he said. I, I'm not. I said something up. like that two podcasts ago. And you go, Popak, that was so cold. I, or I said, I don't want the guy to die, but he's going to. And we yeah. need we need to do something about it. 
We call that Popokian frigidity. Popokian <laughs> frigidity. Another term that you're learning on Merch the Storm. Midas Touch Merch Legal Alert. AF podcast. More updates, updates, updates. Another decision that we were preparing you for, in this time in connection with the Remain in Mexico uh, program that was instituted by the Trump administration. It was officially known as the Migrant protection protocols or the MPP with the remain in Mexico policy implemented in the Trump administration required was that certain asylum seekers who arrived by land at the U.S. Mexico border who passed what's called a credible fear screening with a U.S. asylum officer, meaning that they were credibly seeking asylum because they feared for their lives, that this group of individuals would have to return to Mexico. In other words, they would forcibly be removed to sent to the place where they feared that they were going to die if they got sent back to while they awaited an asylum hearing in the United States Immigration Court. I think it was important that I framed it very specifically what it is because the group of people this relates to were people who passed this fear screening, which is an extensive yeah. screening that says that these people likely could get killed if they return. So I want everybody to know what the stakes are. It's not that everybody who comes to yeah. America has to stay in America. It specifically relates to this group of people. And the Biden administration basically says it's incredibly costly and incredibly uh, evil to send this group of people back. And it seems very punitive and it's focused on the xenophobic rhetoric of the Trump administration. And it's not really solving the broader immigration issues. It's just putting a lot of resources into being hateful towards this specific group and class of people. This is an update, an update, an illegal AF update, because we discussed that a United District Court judge from the Northern District of Texas um, issued an injunction um, that kept the uh, uh, the uh, protection program in effect. It prevented Biden from removing the program. It was appealed to the Court of Appeals. It went to the Supreme Court. Um, uh, there was a brief stay in the enforcement of the district court's order. The district court's order just we're using stays and junctions basically says the migrant protection protocol, which Trump did stays that not 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 stays as it stopped. It continues to go on. That lives on the remain in Mexico program cannot be removed, which is what the Biden administration wanted. Popak, what's going on? here? Yeah. So I called that doctrine or that test the desperately seeking asylum test. And that was a very good way, Ben, that you uh, put a fine point on it because I didn't want people to think that we're talking about like regular tourists from Mexico who want to emigrate to the United States. These are people who have legitimate fears of being killed because they've either they live in drug cartel neighborhoods. They've um, gotten on the radar for really bad people in in Mexico and could die. And so we'd rather have them across the border waiting for their asylum petition to be considered than than potentially dying on the other side of the border while the asylum petition um, is being considered because you can't bring them back from the grave to give them their asylum. Um, the 
Supreme Court in a little bit of hoisting the Biden administration on its own petard cited the case that they had ruled against exactly a similar scenario when Trump tried to end the Dreamers Act to send all of these poor children out of the country who had no who committed no other crime except that they were except that they were brought here as children by parents who never got naturalized or got proper immigration status, but in all ways, shapes and forms were good, upstanding Americans. When Trump tried to, because that's where the Republican Party is, they're against children, they're against values, and they wanted to port high school students and elementary school students. When they when that was but when that was challenged at the Supreme Court level three years ago, the Supreme Court said, no, that was an arbitrary and capricious executive order and sort of mean spirited where you tried to overturn Trump Obama's policy on the Dreamers Act. And we're not going to let you do that. You have to go through. Now we're back to the Administrative Procedures Act. You have to go through proper rulemaking and go through comment, public comment come up with an emergency back backing for this that makes sense. You can't just with the stroke of your pen sitting in the White House, change a policy like that. We find that arbitrary, capricious. The Supreme Court in a half page ruling this entire um, rejection of the stay in Mexico um, uh, change by Biden was reversed by the Supreme Court in a one paragraph decision in which they cited and I know why they did it. I'm sure you do, too. They cited the case of the Trump case by saying, you know what? You can't do that either. We, we didn't think Trump did it right. Biden didn't do it right. Come back. Go back to the drawing board. Come up with a proper rulemaking. Do it through a proper procedure. And then we'll probably uphold it. But don't do it with a stroke of a pen. We didn't like it three years ago when your predecessor did it. We don't like it now. What do you think about their analysis, Ben? I look, I think that. <laughs> We've talked about this in other legal AF podcasts. We talked about it uh, just before on the eviction moratorium issue. Their analysis ultimately supports whatever conclusion I think their their alignment is. Um, I think here they could have equally interpreted it as whereas. Uh, the difference in DACA being the harsh result of revoking promises to people who were here and then sending those individuals back into situations where many people who were part of the DACA program were born here, they're taxpayers, like it's an evil thing to remove those people. And that is arbitrary and capricious to have literally arbitrary. I mean, you have people living here who depend on that. And then you go, all right, see you later. You're going back to a country that you've maybe never even you, lived. You don't in. even remember or you never lived in. Right. And to me, it is not so arbitrary and capricious as it is here to say to someone who is who credibly fears for their life to say, you know what? We as the United States of America, with respect to these people, the same way we're talking about um, wanting to protect uh, refugees in Afghanistan who fear for their life. It's a similar type of analysis of asylum seeking refugees 
that what we're not going to do is send those individuals back to the Taliban or send these individuals back to the cartels to be killed. It would seem to be an arbitrary and capricious decision to go and attack individuals who have credible threats as the United States of America, which is supposed to be a beacon for immigrants and a beacon for asylum seekers to say, you know what, you need to go back and you probably should die in Mexico. So I think you have that nuance that I did there, Popak. Um, But, you know, look, at the end of the day, the Supreme Court's analysis is to try to buttress their cruel and evil ruling by saying, oh, well, look, we gave you DACA, so yeah. we're going to kill these, I, but, we, but we gave you DACA. So I, that's I, I totally agree with you. I think you're spot on in that analysis. That, that was why I emphasized it was a paragraph, because they just wanted to stick it to Biden and say, well, you know, we found it arbitrary capricious before, but you're totally right. In the area of immigration, for instance, you know, the, the Constitution gives the the government the, the full power and ultimately um, the executive branch to legislate in the area and regulate in the area of immigration. And they have made a finding um, as it relates to Mexico specifically, that these people will likely die and not be able to get the benefits of asylum if they're not protected during the process. And immigration rulings get made like this all the time. I'll give you one last example. In Florida, there's two major groups of immigrant um, now U.S. citizens in in Florida, in South Florida, the Haitian community and the Cuban-American community. And the the immigration laws, as they apply to those two different groups, are not equal. The, the Cuban community always had the ability, if they ever got their way onto dry land, it's unfortunately, it was referred to as wet foot, dry foot. If they made their way in a boat or otherwise and got to a U.S. territory, They were kept there and not deported while they went through a process. The Haitian community was not given the same rights. We'll debate another time or you can raise on your your political podcast the different power imbalance between the Cuban population and the Haitian population in South Florida. But these types of anomalies happen in immigration law all the time. So I don't I don't want people on our Twitter feed to say, well, why do why do the Mexicans get that benefit in other places where there's also um, including Afghanistan right now, where there's also people that could die awaiting asylum. And and my position is that the, the new policies will be passed by the executive branch and the Homeland Security to account case by case for these types of things. And I don't need the Supreme Court to saying all of those events are arbitrary and capricious. So I agree with you. Absolutely. Those were your updates, updates. You've got updates and some breaking news updates about some etymology of, you know, I I like to use Popakian terms, but, you know, I used the term Popakian frigidity earlier. You may recall me mentioning that terminology. That one sounds terrible, by the way. I hate that one. I hate that one. That one sounds terrible. Well, it is terrible (laughs) because I Googled it and I was just wondering. I said, I want to make sure that it is what I think it means. And it is partially the definition of frigidity. But I did Google frigidity. Frigidity also means the failure of a female to respond to sexual stimulus. Aversion on the part of a woman to sexual intercourse is one of the definitions of frigidity. But I also was correct that frigidity means intensely cold, lack of warmth. I'm just reading from the Merriam-Webster dictionary. As you, um, as you often of, do. 
lacking of imaginative qualities. And to be clear, it was used in a sentence in the Star Tribune, March 6th. 2021, as well as the Washington Post on July 18th of 2019, quote, during last month's cold spell, which covered much of the nation, a local newspaper in Texas looked north for advice on how to deal with the unaccustomed frigidity. And then Washington Post, July 18th, 2019. I just want to give people sources for this. I see you uh, Eggleston- dropping footnotes here. OK, go. <laughs> Eggleston 60 has worked in sub zero frigidity and in blistering sunshine, but it also apparently has that other terminology, which I did not realize. So perhaps Papakian frigidity may or may not be used in future episodes. I've been called a lot of things, but that's not one of them. (laughs) Legal AFers, please let us know. Papakians, your viewpoints are welcome as well. Two other cases now that we're done with updates, I want to talk about one Capitol Police officers filing a lawsuit against Trump and Trump hate groups. This is one of the newest lawsuits that were filed arising out of the insurrection. I think this one has a little bit more sting because it's coming from the Capitol police officers themselves, although the other ones were from members of Congress who were injured and others. Mm -hmm. What'd you say? Also the victims. Also, yeah, yeah, also other victims and, and members of Congress who were victims. And so I don't think there's a lot of new ground to cover here, Popak, although this complaint does link Trump in more detail with the various hate groups out there, the Oath Keepers, the KKK groups, the Proud Boys, and really makes it a combined, pleads it as a combined conspiracy. But, but, but think about this before you got in into this world that you and your brothers got into. Do you ever think you see the day when a president of the United States was listed as a defendant next to the Proud Boys in a lawsuit filed against them? I mean, it's just it's just gobsmacking. It's just mind blowing. But this is a continuation. We talked about it. You've had on your I believe on the Brothers podcast, you've had on uh, Representative Swalwell. So Swalwell and others in Congress brought their own case under the Ku Klux Klan Act, which is an act that was passed by Congress to enforce uh, the 13th and 14th Amendment because of the reprisals and deaths that were caused by the KKK and people trying to exercise their rights. It's still on the books. And you see here that these lawsuits are using it as the predicate for their their case against the president in this case. So the Capitol, six Capitol police officers also using the KKK Act and violations of the U.S. Constitution suing Trump, the Proud Boys. Who else is in there? Is Giuliani in there? I just assume Giuliani's always in there throwing a little Lin- Linwood, throwing a little yeah. Sidney Powell. Throw- it's like a spr- just, like just, sprinkle in. Yeah, it's like a it's like a big it's a big Kraken. stew. It's a cracking. It's a cracked stew and, and all these people <laughs> end up in it. But yeah, so we're going to follow that. That just got filed in the district court for in, in D.C., the federal district court in D.C. It's just in the pleading stage now. So I'm sure there'll be developments. It may. I'm not sure if it was assigned and I apologize. I didn't get this information before we started our podcast. I'm not yeah. sure if it's been assigned to the same judge. I wouldn't be surprised if the same judge in the district court is that's handling the Swalwell case uh, also gets this one and kind of because it would make sense as the way there's not different decisions that may be at odds with each other. I My gut is it's going to end up with the same judge. It's already been assigned as a related matter. Yellow card. 
<laughs> yellow card for failure to properly research. The Popakian yellow card was just <laughs> pulled out. For those who are seeing it, I have pulled up the yellow card. Uh, look at you. I got believe it right. or not, I carry in my pocket a yellow card specifically for the moment where Popak would admit. I literally, for I, those listening and who aren't watching it, I'm holding a yellow card. And Popak's pretty shocked that I came so prepared, unlike Popak, who did not do the research there. If the same judge was related to this case, is or it not? But is, but is it I, or not? Uh, what, Wait, you, you I mean, me? Was it assigned to the right judge? I oh, yellow Popak. card. <laughs> I just give you I'm just giving you the yellow card. That's right. that's the way the show. That's the show works. I we will update card. on Twitter. We will do a Twitter legal AF by Midas Touch Twitter update on my whether the case has been consolidated. But I am impressed that literally out of his back pocket flew a yellow card. I don't know what happens if it gets to red. If it gets to red, I guess it's my screen just goes dark and Ben does the rest of the podcast by Popak, himself. I, speaking of which, I had the weirdest Popakian dream yesterday oh, that you, oh just, no. you just reminded me of. And so because of all the vacations you've been taking, because of all of your <laughs> antiquing, my dream was that before the legal AF today that I was going to wake up to a message for, this is such a weird dream, but I swear to you, this is true that you said, hey, I can't make it until later afternoon, the earliest that we had scheduled to do it because I think you were going pumpkin picking or you had plans Apple. to start. I think you said I forget what it was particularly, but I think you were gearing up for Halloween and Halloween decorations because I know that's big in the Popakian world. But this is um, the headline. But OK, I, I get it. But here's the headline. Ben dreams of Popak when he's not podcasting. <laughs> and so it, and so in the dream, though. I got so upset that you were doing that you were not going to show up or you were going to show up late. I was like, you know what, Popak? I'm just going to carry the show all by myself. I don't care about if the Popakians are going to be angry. I got to wake up in this morning and I got to do the po what a weird dream and that strange thing dream. for me to even talk. About, but it's a very true dream. Finally, Popak, I want to talk about the guilty plea, switching gears to the criminal law of Igor. Fruman, Igor, Igor Fruman. We need sound effects. It's not Igor. It's Igor. I mean, I, I is it? I'm gonna, that, it no, that's a young Frankenstein reference. I had to throw Igor, it in there. Igor, Igor. Yeah. yeah, that that predates me, Popak. I'm, I'm <laughs> I pre I predate you, Popak. You watch the original Frankenstein, huh? <laughs> no, I didn't watch it being made, but I have seen it when it was on television. But no, young Frankenstein. For our listeners that are in my vintage, great movie. Go watch it. Igor versus Igor. I don't know which it is, but let's talk about him. Popak, tell us what happened here. The switch from uh, he originally pled not guilty in 2019. He's now pled guilty. What does this mean? One, uh, two, do I care? Um, and three, <laughs> is it bad news for Rudy Giuliani? I guess are the questions that you, I yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to we're going to talk about what it means. You should care. And it is bad news for Rudy Giuliani. So Igor Fruman, who was a Belarusian business person, along with somebody else uh, who um, is being who's been charged by the Southern District of New York federal prosecutors, which Rudy Giuliani once headed in the early 2000s. Uh, for corruption and bribery related to the Ukraine, 
to the ouster or the attempted ouster of the ambassador, the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine by Trump to a marijuana business that they were trying to start with a Russian operative. Um, and just generally, he was a one right hand man for Rudy Giuliani. There's go online. There's plenty of video and film and pictures of them smoking cigars and having fun and reporting to each other about developments. Rudy's being separately investigated and prosecuted by two spots in New York, the Eastern District of New York and the Southern District of New York related to whether he was a foreign agent unregistered lobbying on behalf of the Ukraines back to Trump, which is a crime and whether he was involved with the takedown of the ambassador. Um, and that's being done by the other, by I think, by the Eastern District. These are the key witnesses, Igor Fruman and his business associate, who were both charged in 2019 and 2020. We all thought that they were going to have this trial in about two or three months and because Fruman had pled not guilty. Three days ago, four days ago, a filing got made in the court and Fruman announced that he wanted to change his plea from guilty to not guilty. And for our followers and listeners, Ben, when a defendant changes his plea and goes to court to announce that he's changed his plea, what does that usually indicate? That they will change their plea. True. Uh, they'll change their plea. They don't want to go to trial. It could also indicate that they have co they're cooperating with the federal Occam's government. Occam's razor, Popak. Occam's I know. Razor. I know. You you want to say it's a donkey, not a zebra. But in this case, it could well be that he is changing his plea to guilty because he's cooperating and that there'll be sentencing where he'll get leniency. So that is bad news for Giuliani. Because now the guy's not going to go to trial and he's probably frequently talking through his lawyer with the prosecutors who are trying to really bring down Rudy Giuliani. Do they care about Igor Fruman? No. Sure. If he committed no, a crime, really. they'll put him in jail. But they really want Rudy Giuliani. And at the end of the day, all roads lead to duty, Rudy, whose road of duty, Rudy, leads to Trump, whose throne duty rudy under the bus at this point and is even refuse refusing to cover duty rudy's legal bills did you see that video popak <laughs> of duty rudy you do um, one more duty rudy it may cause epilepsy an epileptic fit among our followers and listeners okay duty rudy you, have, yes have you seen popak that uh rudy was brought an electric shaver to the uh, airport and was literally shaving his hair in the restaurant. He is so a dis I, he, listen, he had a lot of things about his reputation 20 years ago in New York. And I again, I've, I've told our listeners, I have close friends that actually worked with him in his office um, in the Southern District. I never heard about you know, dripping hair dye, shoving his hands down his pants to fix his junk on camera when he thought he was going to, you know, fluffing it before he was going to be interviewed by Pope Borat. Pac, he was a weird guy, though. I mean, by I think there was no, some... he was weird. No, there's weird. And then there's fluffing yourself, dripping hair dye and shaving and clipping your toenails in an airport restaurant. That's really weird. <laughs> I, I agree with you, Popak. And so as able legal AF pilots who take off 
We bring you through the air. We clear you through the legal turbulence. We give you the info. Unfortunately, it's that time of legal AF where we land our fighter pilot jet of law. We hope we've armed you with all of the information for you to go out there and to spread Popakian dialect for you to spread the truth and for you to frankly know what was going on this week in the law. What are the broader implications of these cases and how they relate to you, your family, the country, the world. And we hope as always, we've broke it down for you in ways you can understand, relate to, have a laugh here or there, but ultimately empower you with the knowledge that I don't think you hear anywhere other than legal AF. We so appreciate your support. Thank you as always for making legal AF a top podcast in the United States of America. As always, we always say, if you have a case, Popak and I are willing to hear it. If you, a friend, if someone you know has been injured, if you're the victim of sexual harassment, if you are a victim of a business dispute, if you think you have a big case or you think you know someone who has a large case and you want to just see, hey, do I have a case or do I not have a case, feel free to reach out to us. Um, my email is ben at MidasTouch.com, B-E-N at MidasTouch.com, M-E-I-D-A-S-T-O-U-C-H.com. Popak, your email address? Is mpopak at zplaw.com. Somebody asked on our Twitter feed, how do we reach you guys? And, it, and it's through the addresses that we just provided, which are also on our Twitter profiles. We're happy to help, you know, if you think you have a big case. And look, if you just want to give a comment about the show, um, uh, one, the best place to comment about the show is through the podcast reviews. Make sure you give Legal AF a five-star review. We know how massive this audience is, but wherever you're listening to this podcast, please, 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 right now when the podcast is over, give it a five-star review. Give it a review if you like the podcast. That helps with the rankings and the ratings of the podcast. Keeps us on the air. Keeps us on the air. So <laughs> give us a five-star review. Thank you so much for supporting Legal AF. I'm Ben. You know Michael Popak, the Popakian. We appreciate your support. Shout out to the Midas Mighty. Shout out to the Popokians. Last words, Popak. I do. I went, you had a yellow card. I got a black one. The last page in my notebook for prep today I, this, I'm going to commend this. This is this sums up the Midas Touch philosophy in your podcast 100%. This is by Benjamin Franklin. Energy and persistence conquer all things. That's what your movement's all about. I appreciate that. And we appreciate the support of the Midas Mighty. See you next time, same place, because if it's Sunday, it is legal AF. <laughs> <laughs>